Hello, welcome to Going <laughs> Off Track. Hello, and welcome to Studio B, Converse Rubber Tracks. Is it okay that my mic thing is crooked? My wind, <laughs> my pop filter? That's what she said. <laughs> I was going to touch it, and then I was like, if I touch my my mic, Brad's going to have a meltdown. <laughs> Brad does not like it when you touch the mic, so it stands. Wow, it just makes noise. It does make noise. How you doing? What's going I'm good. on? I'm good. I've been doing a lot of hot yoga recently. <sighs> hot yoga. Yeah. I've been going to this studio I really like. Moto yoga. You fart a lot in hot yoga? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the myth of yoga that everybody farts. It, it's it's <laughs> a myth that is not based in reality because I've been to, I think, probably thousands of yoga classes and it's never been an issue. <laughs> I think it's a myth of people who don't do a lot of yoga. <laughs> it's a good myth for people that are out of shape. And it's like the, it's a good the, reason not to do the yoga. other myth is like when you meet guys who are like kind of like meet I got they're like oh dude like it's awesome right there's like so many hot girls isn't it distracting it's like no it's not distracting like you're trying to focus on your breathing especially hot yoga like you're trying not to like pass out hmm. like you're trying to like adjust like it's like guys it's distracting just letting you know I've, I've been there no, I haven't done the hot yoga there's a, like cold keeping, yoga is distracting keeping yourself <laughs> breathing is distracting like. Trust me, you'll, you, you, your, your body is much more interested in keeping yourself alive and hydrated. Uh, maybe, maybe your body, Jim. Okay, every other man on earth. Yeah. Well, I had a feeling that I was explaining this to the wrong person, but you're right, Brad. Uh, if that's what you want to hear. Uh, uh, so what else is going on? Been doing that. Been uh, doing some traveling this summer. Did a little traveling. I was out in California for a while. I was in Cleveland. Just went to my grandma. Just had her 99th birthday. Ah, congratulations! Yeah. So shout out to her. That was that was great seeing her. 99 is like it's funny because obviously 100 is this huge number and everybody's right. celebrating. But 99 has a lot of weight to it. Yeah, I like that's a good number. Yeah, you should celebrate the 99. I mean, motherfucker, you should celebrate everything after 80, really, because yeah, who knows? Yeah, but um, yeah. That's great, ninety nine. Yeah, it was fun. Had some cake. It's these Midwestern grandmothers, man. Mine lived to be one hundred and four. Wow, one hundred and four. Yeah, it's this the Midwest. Yeah, she eat a lot of bacon fat and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't think so. My, she seemed pretty healthy. I'm not sure. I don't really know what her day to day diet was like. Honestly, I can't. I don't know. My mom would know. I'll ask her. I'll get back next week. I'll give okay. you guys a break. the secret of to, to live a long life. It probably is bacon fat, yeah. right? Live in the Midwest and, and eat bacon fat. It's us. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And just, yeah. And stay off the, the meth amphetamines. Yeah. And MSG. Yeah. True. Uh, um, what's up with you, Brad? You know, just keeping it real here. Yeah. Keeping it real at work. Uh, happy about the summer, I guess. Yeah, you've been. I don't you've been know riding. why. It's not like I'm going to be out of school or anything. Have you been enjoying riding your bike? I do. You know, the thing is that, like, I ride my bike year round, and the truth That's is, that the summer is probably the least enjoyable. Well, because there's so many more people on their bikes. Well, it's hot. First of all, you get really hot. But yeah, like. You know, the first nice day when you get all these fair weather bikers coming over the bridge, which in itself is not a terrible thing, except watch out for those blue bikes, man. They will cut you off. Oh, the city bike? <laughs> yeah. Dude, you know what it's else? The tourist I bike. But like also like sometimes I'm on that bridge 
Because now you know how, like it used to be just like both sides were like just directions and now it's like there's a bike side yeah. and the, the walking side. But I see people on the wrong sides yeah. all the time and I'm like, yeah. it's not that fucking hard. Especially like, why would you want to walk on a side where there's literally just bikes flying past yeah. you? It's, that's one of like, my Can they give out tickets piece. for that? Like they should. I, you know what happened? They did some work on the bridge a couple of months ago and they took down the sign. The signs going to Brooklyn are like covered with like fucking stickers and band stickers and shit. And then they took down the signs on the Brooklyn side. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you can, I've definitely yelled at people that I've seen like on a second or third day, like walking over yeah. the fucking bridge. Like, like okay, and also there's a point where if they're past the halfway point, because they the the two lanes meet in the middle, you know you can. Oh, there's that little crossover. Yeah, you're given an option. Yes. So, yes. so if you walk up the wrong way and you're like, "Fuck, I'm surrounded by bikes," you get to that crossover, you're like, "Whew!" Totally crossover. T- so if you ha- if people that are coming back down and haven't crossed over, they get wrath. Yeah, I've like I've elbowed some people, like f- flown past them on the bike and elbowed them. Yeah, it's you know like it's it's just it's not that hard. That kind of stuff drives me crazy. Well, because it's, you know what? It's, it's also, selfish. It's, it's dangerous. Too. Yeah, it's dangerous. You're right. And the thing is, is, you know, in a collision between a pedestrian and a bicycle, the the more, I'm, I'm only speaking from it's personal more experience. It's cyclist. Yeah. Yeah. All the accidents that I can think of involving friends of mine, it was, yeah, it was the person on the bike who got fucked up. Yeah. So, so go on the right side of the bridge, motherfuckers. Go on the right side of the bridge. Uh, <laughs> speaking of bikes and breaking the rules. <laughs> And <laughs> something else and, and bad transitions. Uh, today on the podcast, we have a very exciting guest. Yeah. He's in a band called Leftover Crack. Perhaps you've heard of them. Very Fred, are you, exciting Are you band. familiar with them? <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see them Not, back in the day? <clears throat> no. I don't think I ever saw them play, actually. Although, you know what? I may have. I've forgotten more shows than I can remember. Yeah. Well, but I've always been aware of the band, for sure. Yeah, they've been, they've been around since 98, following the breakup of Choking Victim, which is, yeah, pretty incredible. That's almost 20 years. And uh, what else? Uh, this, this, this is uh, Scott Sturgeon, um, also known as Stizza Crack. Um, was obviously in Choking Victim and Leftover Crack, and uh, also since 2005 has been in the Star Fucking Hipsters and Leftover That's Crack a good name. and Star Fucking Hipsters, both on <laughs> Fat Mike's label, Fat Records. And uh, yeah, then the night after we taped this podcast, I went to uh, see No Effects and hung out with Scott a lot and posted a thousand photos of us hanging out. And then woke <laughs> up the next day and had that like Instagram hangover regret and just erasing like, this is a selfie. Like, just like, oh, this is so fun. I got to post this. And the next day people are like, dude, I'm like, I know. <laughs> but it was really fun hanging with him. We, um, our pal Benny from Gaslight Anthem guest hosted on this one once Benny. again. Back again. Benny's becoming a regular. Yeah. It's good. We love Benny. He's, he's the best. And, uh, yeah, we talked a lot about about kind of old New York, the East Village, kind of being in a, in a you know, sea squat. Um, just it's not that long ago, but really like a different time. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, Scott's a really smart guy. And uh, yeah, let's just let him talk about it. Let's let from, him talk. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Sturgeon, here you go. I'm going off track. I don't know. I heard, I heard that that dude, I don't know how that works. 
I I heard he can just listen to a song once and mm. then just play it perfect. I don't believe that. Most yeah. songs. Yeah. Maybe not every song. Maybe not every song, but I think for him to learn a song is probably just yeah. so easy. I wonder if he's like really trained and like when he hears a song, he's able to like visualize like drum notes like it's actually it's actually like a thing or if, or if it's really just by ear. Memory. Yeah. Just, yeah. We played the first drummer in Leftover Crack was Amory from AWOL from uh, Suicide Tendencies right. and Daisy Boys and our he came in, and I don't think he'd heard our songs yet, and um, we only had like a seven-inch worth of five songs. He came in, and we played the songs with him, and he took a couple of notes, and I feel like within like one, the second time around, he had them down. Yeah. It was weird. I I actually, when I worked on Warped Tour one year, AWOL was like in charge of one of the trucks. Right, he doesn't drum anymore. Yeah, and I was... He's like, like a stage manager. Huh. And I had interviewed in my zine in college, BS2000. We had interviewed Adam and AWOL, and I like brought one. I was like, because there was a Cleveland show, and I was like, I interviewed you for my zine. He's like, oh, cool. And he was just like, would sweep up the truck, was super into it, like super friendly. Hmm. He's a nice guy, but I don't think he, I think he wants to be drumming in a band. Yeah, yeah. He does want to be? Yeah. I think so, yeah, but... Yeah. I don't know. I, I can't even get in touch with them. Yeah, Ben Ayer drumming in a band can sometimes be not cracked up to be. Ah, I mean, I think it's pretty cool comparatively yeah. to like real work. Yeah, that's true. You know, I'd rather do I it just than like you guys have so much equipment to carry around. In the scale of the like drummer? being yeah. in a yeah. band. That's why I was never interested in it. It's definitely mm. like more physical right. work There's than more any stuff, other instrument. But it's not yeah. necessarily heavier than an amp. No. Yeah, and and it just not, seems like I feel like an amp you can kind of put it on stage, plug it in, and you're good. You don't have to like assemble all right, this shit. Right, but like, then you know where guitar players and and it's something I love about being a drummer is that like everything for my stuff for the most part maybe pedals get a little tricky, mm. but super tangible. Right. You know, like yeah. something breaks on a drum, you literally watch a stick like go through something. Right. And you're right, like, right, okay, right. now that's broken. Mm-hmm. It needs to be repaired. It's not going to like like stop. You're not yeah. going to hit the drum and be like, why is, like, it why, why is this sound? happening? Why? Yeah. And then I see like. <laughs> I don't know. We're just and, like adjusting shit. Yeah. And I see a full <laughs> guitar setup, right? Mm-hmm. With like heads, amps. I see mm-hmm. little fucking tubes powering it in the back. Right. All these eight pedals. And then I see a pedal board <laughs> chain. With like twenty different mini chords, yeah. There's so many and things all that these can things. Go wrong. I'm like the yeah. variable mm-hmm. that you guys are giving yourself right. for for just things fucking up is That's just so high. I, I started out as a drummer, and then when I started playing guitar, I was like, and to this day, when I play guitar, I keep it. It's like one distortion pedal. Now it's a tuner, didn't used to be, and then a, and that's it, and then it goes to the a clean channel and an amp. Yeah. So you have to if, have a good distortion pedal, though. Yeah, I, I'm, I haven't played guitar much in the last couple of years, but yeah, yeah you're right. I need to find a better <laughs> one. I was using a DS1 forever. I was like this oh, yeah. one, but they stopped making them sound good. Yeah, they stopped sounding good in like the '90s, and I kept using them for my bands. And I was like, why? That just sounds bad. Jonah, what do you use for distortion? I actually just use my amp distortion. That's oh, always really? good. Yeah. I, I need. I, you know what? I never bought a nice amp. Yeah, I bought a nice amp <laughs> like 15 years ago, and I've just had it, but well, it sounds good. When I was playing guitar all the time, I I couldn't afford a head or an amp, and now that I can afford it, I, I haven't played guitar much in the past few years. I'd imagine through all these years with you, like that someone would be offering you like 
some shit by now, right? Some I free think stuff. that um, a couple of the guys in Leftover Crack, our guitar players, Brad, Logan, and Chris Mann, they, um, they do something with Orange. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like they get it for free. They yeah. get, they get oh, yeah, like, like, a, like 25%. Yeah, that's how I got which mine Which seems too. like, you know, I'm like, I don't know, if I'm going to shill for somebody, you better give me shit for free. I'm with that, yeah. yeah. Because otherwise I'm going to be on this podcast talking shit about Orange. <laughs> because they haven't actually offered me anything. But, you know, to be fair, it doesn't look like I play guitar in any band I'm in lately. But <laughs> I do. I, I play all the guitars to some extent. So so what's been going on? Like why you're just not feeling like inspired to play guitar right now? or just You like- know, it's weird. Um, um, leftover Crack. Well, Choking Victim was three piece. Right. And then we got a second guitar player... Because all the songs had at least two guitars in them, like doing different things. And then when Leftover Crack started, it was a three-piece. Well, it was really just, it was like four tracks. Like, it was just me on a four-track. I played drums and all this stuff. And then I put my band together and I said, like, Chucky Victim broke up because, sorry, I'm like eating and talking. No, it's fine. It's terrible. It's a natural environment. Yeah, we yeah. want you to feel comfortable. Animals you got your stuff laid out here. Yeah. This is a perfect. This is like my bed at at uh, in C squat. Yeah, feel comfortable. Half of it is me my, yeah. where I sleep, and the rest is my stuff. <laughs> Between like my me desk. and Jonah, you'll find very little judgment. I think. Yeah, it's true. Kind of yeah. don't give. A f- yeah, we don't. Do we give a fuck? Yeah, and much? if you know, and if you're listening and you don't like it, don't listen to it. Tune right. off. Yeah, no one's Please. forcing you to do anything. A lot exactly. of podcasts. Yeah. these days to yeah. choose from. Yeah, pick there's a different a, one. There's too many. Yeah, yeah, too many. There is a lot. It's I mean, the reason I haven't started my own is because it's at the point where if you didn't do it to me a couple years ago, it's too late. Can we can we just get people out there that do podcasts to agree to one thing? Can we keep it a, at around an hour, uh, hour and a half if it's really interesting? But you're really digging in. Don't put out a three hour podcast. That happens three yeah. hours. Yeah, Ooh. people do that, and, and people are like, check out this podcast. It's like. This is bullshit. It's kind of boring already, and I'm not listening to it for three hours. Yeah. And you got to imagine, it's a little mm. presumptuous, right? Because you're not thinking about people, li- like, who actually has the time to people sit People that down, don't do anything with their lives. Listen to three hours of a po- I can't even get three hours to watch, like, Lord of the Rings anymore, right, right, let right, alone right. I'm something way that, less entertaining. People that don't do, people probably that aren't creative and don't have a job where they need to pay attention mm. can do it. Or That's true. Uh, like in the background, like an office, or, or something. people that like live on their parents' couch in their basement that are like you know, n- and they're agoraphobic. They don't go out, so they're like, right. and they don't go to sleep probably much because they don't get exercise and eat sugar. I feel like that <laughs> might be more like the Call of Duty headset crowd. I feel know? like I, 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 I hate to say, I hate to have this picture in my head, but I picture New Jersey, and I'm like, that's such a thing that's pounded into me as a little kid growing up in New York City. Yeah. But it's not; it's everywhere. Sure. It's New York State. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's New yeah. York City. There's people in New York City in a basement, in their parents' basement, doing exactly the stereotypical thing that I find is like, and maybe it's Kevin Smith like made me think that oh, no. you that's know, what people do in New Jersey. I think, no, I can tell you from experience, <laughs> being a lifelong New Jerseyite, mm-hmm. whose family is exclusively from New York. This is my parents, aunts, uncles, brother, sister, all born in New York. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one born in New Jersey. Okay. So I have this like weird look on things where i truly understand the new york mentality towards mm-hmm. new jersey because my parents had it right i used to lie in elementary school telling people i was from new york because <laughs> weird i thought it was tougher <clears throat> i thought it was cooler 
And half the reason I did it was because my parents, even though they lived in Jersey, basically talked shit about New Jersey and said how much better New York was, even though they chose to move us there. You know what's funny uh, is that uh, is that I was recording in New Jersey yesterday. Where with, at? Um, with the Found Foundation, Jesse Cannon, who lives like a uh, block from here. Yeah, yeah. I was here the other day with Dan Ozzy doing, I was doing like scratch vocals for this song for his band All Torn Up that are from here. And uh, we're driving, me and the singer from All Torn Up are driving back from New Jersey. And uh, and we have, Jesse has this book called like How to Get Fans in the Music Industry or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? It's like some weird book that is apparently popular music self-help it's something like that yeah and i was like and and i was like joey you know if you and i was like have you played in new jersey much and he's like no we never played there's like my best advice to you is that like get a foothold in new jersey because nobody that's from new york bands from new york don't get anywhere they don't get out of new york Mm -hmm. but bands that are from new jersey become world famous or at least, you know, nationally famous or like get there's good labels in New Jersey, there's none in New York. And they, they people in New Jersey will get on labels in California or wherever mm-hmm. they're they want to be on a label. Whereas New York bands, how many bands can you name from New York that actually are from New York that get out that people have heard of? Right. I I there's like a handful of like punk bands at least when I'm right. talking about punk bands, yeah, I guess, yeah. obviously. And I guess hip hop. And hip hop yeah. yeah. Hip hop gets out of New York for sure. sure. And New Jersey, but I feel like New Jersey hip hoppers come to New York to get famous, but Pro- yeah, they I think punk bands scene. need to get popular in, in New Jersey from New York in order for anybody to pay attention to them. Yeah, I it's think weird. there's some truth to that, and maybe it's because like, you know, New Jersey doesn't have any really vibrant cities. You know, at least when I grew up, they were vibrant in the 50s and 60s, places like Trenton and Newark and even Jersey City where I live. Sure. And then they had a real, you know... I wouldn't say a cultural downfall because that's kind of racist, but a a cultural downfall that would support rock music or punk music wasn't there anymore. Just the infrastructure crumbled and uh, the state had very little money. And I think that uh, that that kind of like that environment. I mean, when we, I started Star Fucking Hipsters, I was with uh, members of uh, uh, Degenerics. I never sure. said the Degenerics. Band. I never say it right. Oh, those are my dudes. Right, I know. I, well, I mean, I, know, I, I assume because everybody that's in a band from New Jersey <laughs> or in a band that, like, they were like a, ba- a band for band members. Not That's true. They I've never they heard of a lot them. of fans. Degenerics? No. They were yeah. fucking huge in New Brunswick. Like, really? Degenerics yeah. would blow out I didn't even hear, I had never even heard of them. Yeah. Thus, I can't even say their name right <laughs> to this day. And I played with them a bunch. And I had two to three members of their band at any time yeah. in Star Fucking Hamsters. And, um, and uh, yeah, I still can't say it. But <laughs> I hung out with them, and like they were living in Edison. Yeah, and, but they're from like, like right in my neck of the right, woods. Like, yeah, like Central Peanut, Jersey. the drummer. He, uh, yeah. I feel like he was living in his parents' house that didn't live there anymore, and he still owned it. And like we practiced in the basement, but they just like hung out and smoked weed and watched movies. And uh, and I was like, this is cool. It was really cool for me at that time in my life because I was didn't have anything like. I needed that. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah, yeah. I needed to not think. I couldn't think for a couple of years. It's hard to explain, but... I, and comparatively, not a good time like, to talk about it here. <laughs> <laughs> like, for you, like, yeah. you know, what was, like, going on in the New York scene where what they were doing in Jersey was so different? All I can say is that I didn't know about New Jersey. I had played there, I had played there a bunch with Leftover Crack, 
We didn't. We always had trouble. Even choking victim, we had trouble getting shows in New York. We could play C Squat, and we could play ABC No Rio, and occasionally CBGBs. Right. No other club. Coney Island High wouldn't even have us, and that was really? like three blocks away. The only reason we got to play there, we got to play there once because there was a bunch of Hellcat bands, and we were being signed to Hellcat, okay. and it was like. F minus us, the slackers, and like uh, Dropkick Murphys might have played to nobody. Also, right. it was like an empty that show. Time. Like I think there's like famous people there that were in bands, and I didn't even notice that. But it was like the Ramones and like Beastie Boys were around, but I didn't really notice that they were there. Yeah, and then it was like it's like an industry show or something. Oh, okay. But I couldn't. But I, I went there with my seven inch and our first seven inch, and I was like, hey, we live two blocks from here. We didn't have a, a vehicle, so our tour van was um, those postal carts. Oh, nice. You know, like the big square postal <laughs> yeah, cart? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We had a bunch of those. We called them rubble carts because what we do is uh, we dem- we were demoing C-Squat perpetually to like, because uh, it, it had burnt at some point before we lived there. And okay. It was just, we occasionally, you know, we got rid of all this rubble, constant construction to this day it's not 100 sure. percent finished but it's up to code at least that's cool but uh we had them in the hallway and um on garbage day which was like once or twice a week we'd go and have to get up at like 7 a.m and run them out and dump them because the garbage guys wouldn't yeah come pick up our construction garbage stuff yeah and especially construction stuff and they wouldn't pick them up either it's like we had to do it you guys were like miners, like I picture you like underground. Yeah, all, and we were like, all dirty and there's no running water, so <laughs> yeah. we and then we went back to bed. It's like right. we, we were like soot covered practically. It's crazy. It was like tenement pictures from so the cool. Jacob Rees photos from like the turn of the century. But uh, yeah, our tour, so that was our tour. We uh, When we had to play a show at ABC No Rio, CBGBs, or another squat, we'd... um. We'd empty one of those, you know, if there was rubble in it, or maybe there'd be, they're usually at the end, there's a couple empty ones, and we put all our stuff in it, and we just run it, you know, walk it up the street. Right out to the show. Up, you know, it's like, <laughs> or Park Show, which is great, it was a block from Tompkins, so we played a lot of those, but it's like, it's like, what's, why can't we play at this place? It's such, such cart distance. It's better yeah. than CBGB's, it's closer <laughs> than CBGB's, closer than ABC Norio. It's just a straight shot through Tompkins, and there we are with our cart. Don't even need gas money. Well, we never, yeah, we didn't have any vehicle, yeah, so. Perfect. Yes, money wasn't relevant. <laughs> yeah, I never went to Coney Island, but we've had, like, we had this thing for the Spin Doctors on here, and he was like, we played there, because I always thought of it as, like, a punk venue, just hearing about shows, and he's like, no, Blues Traveler, Spin Doctors, used to always play there. No, no? that's bullshit. They played at, at Coney- Wetlands, and then they got Wetlands. Wetlands. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. I'm totally talking about Wetlands. Yeah, Wetlands. Yeah. But I got shows at Wetlands once we, uh, I worked, me and our bass player worked there. Oh, really? Yeah. And, so like, did you Rick- guys play there a lot? Yeah, we started playing there a lot when uh, around the time our our first record came out, maybe. Okay. Or after the Choking Victim record came out. I don't know. I moved. I, I was out of New York for like a year and a half, and I moved back in the late nineteen ninety nine or something, and started Lift Over Crack, and uh, got a job there as a bar back. And I worked there up until the week of nine eleven, and I and honestly, I could have lied, and and um said that i lost my job and gotten unemployment because the world trade center fell down but i um i actually went on tour our first our record came out on 9-11 first left over cracker came out in 2001 9-11 and um our first tour started that thursday it randomly came out that day it was not random at all because i had to redo all the art 
because because uh, that was because it was supposed to be shoot the kids at school right. and and yeah. then Columbine happened. They're like, right, we right, can't right. put this out. Yeah, and I was like, and so they made me like do all new art and even change the name of the record. And I was like, all right, I did, and I, was, I hated it, but I did it because I just wanted this fucking record to come out. Sure. And finally, it was coming out in September, and I was like, and I was just booked a tour for us, and we had like. A, all the states in Canada, like a forty days, probably one of the longest tours we've ever done. Uh-huh. I think we did forty days, and then we did um we had a week off and went to Europe. And I don't even know how we got booked out there, but but it was uh I I, I was our my last day was like like the Sunday or something. So I think the, I was supposed to work on on two, on nine eleven, but then there there wasn't work. So does that mean like, like so that would mean you? put out the record and left for tour and by the time you came back for tour we were just at war by then if it was like almost yeah, 50 it happened, days later yeah right? it happened around that yeah. time like we we actually went for a week to chicago and back with uh, um with the unseen street punk band that i don't recommend like touring with if you're a political punk band um that's the best way i cannot be mean okay <laughs> and um and f minus was with us and i think brad logan was playing with them a little bit and uh and anyways, uh, their their crowd wanted to like beat me up at every show because I'm very opinionated and I had a lot to say that week. Yeah, and um, and uh, you know we had a, some people walk out on our shows and stuff, but I just don't censor myself. Like, sure. if especially if you know there's some big political things happening, um, but we came back and then we played the first show at CBGB's after 9/11, and oh. it was just like a week later, yeah, 918 yeah. or 920 or something, like and then uh. And they actually thought I was talking shit about the World Trade Center, but I wasn't. I was singing a song called Atheist Anthem that has a line about once again the fallen towers. Right. Which is actually from uh which is like it's came out on nine eleven. It's like one of those like weird Nostradamus things, but yeah. it's you know, I don't really believe in, in any of that and uh, any spiritual or like what do you call it, clairvoyance. But uh but they thought I was talking about the World Trade Center. And I was uh, like, no, it's, it's, a, it's from a T.S. Eliot poem, The Wasteland. He talks about the fallen towers, like um, the fallen empires. Yeah, He yeah, says, yeah. like, Greece, Rome. To represent the fallen empires, yeah. Right, well, he, that's what he said. Huh. He said the fallen, you know, the fallen yeah, towers. Yeah. And, like, I'm like, it's talking about the United States. And, like, once again, a fall, another fallen empire is going to fall at some point. It was, like, I think what I was implying at the time. I have to read those lyrics again, but... Yeah, and then I, I always found it interesting, too, like, and... There was always something I found happening after 9-11, and I can imagine you ran into that trap a lot because I've seen seen you guys. I've seen tons of videos of, like, I know the vibe, you know? And I think that there was this odd, like, idea that right after 9-11, it was completely off the table to discuss how and why, right? Like, you were only allowed to react to it, you were mm-hmm. only allowed to react to the horror of like what you saw and anything besides for for being reverential was was taken in, in in a horrible context and i never understood that because it seems so retroactive to learning right like like this horrible thing happened and there's fucking no denying that like a hundred times over that what happened is horrible but, but there's no ev- rush to understand it. But my really. instinct when something horrible happens, like we've talked about this on this show, my instinct mm-hmm. when I started learning about the Holocaust is like, how? How the hell can this happen? Like what mm-hmm. in a movement of people allows 
this many people to think this is okay. Because it can't just happen like that. Like, people don't act like that. People don't operate like that. My first instinct when I see someone willing to kill themselves to prove a point and kill all these people as a result, why did that guy get to that point? What happened? You right. know what I mean? And And I feel like you guys being a band who was outspoken prior to 9-11, it's not like it started at 9-11, mm-hmm. or at least you, you know, and, and all the groups you were in. Like, do you find, like, right after that, so much of what you guys did was met with even more resistance? It, and a lot of it was just stuff that I was already doing. Right. Like, th- uh, things I was already saying, and then uh, it was. And, there's a lot more threats of, like, violence. Okay. But honestly, like, every time... Especially that week, I was like wearing this T-shirt that was upside down American flag and said, "Try turning this one, motherfucker." You know, <laughs> and I wore that and um, skin. There's a lot of skinheads because unseen were there, and they had, like street punk bands, quote unquote, tend to have um, a very. They're not political, and what that invites is uh, kind of apolitical people or even mm. people that are like it welcomes. It kind of has this tendency to welcome Nazis in a way. Or make them not feel alienated and comfortable at going to a show. Sure. And um and I always thought that was shitty and bullshit and um but anyways, regardless of that, uh skinheads always wanted to beat me up. I think it came to like the point the best point I could bring up is that a year after nine eleven we played a show at the knitting factory and our drummer at the time was in uh his coach from Two Man Advantage, a drummer from Two Man Advantage, who like uh very nice guy, funny yeah. guy, smart guy. Um, uh, but I think that he was pressured by some of his friends to leave our band after about we played about a year after nine eleven at the Ning Factory on Leonard Street, which is a few blocks away. And uh, and I had a paper mache World Trade Center, and I put a smoke bomb in it, made a little show of it, and um, you know, he was just like, I quit. And then I was like, mad. I was really mad at him because we had a week. Before Holidays in the Sun, New Jersey was happening. It was in Asbury Park at the Stone Pony outside. Yeah. It was a big, big punk festival thing. they were trying to do. It never really didn't catch on too much. Like it, it didn't do well that year and it never came back. But uh, um, our drummer quit. And then a friend of mine recommended this other guy to play drums. And he, he's like, he was, a, he was a cho- one of the choking victim drummers. He's like, this guy will play. It's like, why don't you just play? You know, we, you know these songs. He's like, now nah, get this guy. And then um, the guy couldn't play, mm-hmm. and he couldn't learn the songs. We played. We got through maybe three or four songs, and it was just bad. Yeah. And I was like, before the set, I wrote this. I can't remember what I said exactly. It was probably somewhere to find it, but I wrote a speech to talk about what had happened in the last year and my take on things. And uh, and I don't think it was particularly offensive. But I think it offended people that were apolitical or patriotic, and um, I had it was a ton of skinheads there, and I just kind of people loved that show because I had said this thing. I spoke probably for like six or seven minutes, just because we had like forty minutes and like no songs, and so I, I might have played a couple songs like without you know without the band. I might have played acoustic and or you know electric acoustic, and um. And then what I did was after I, I played that, I was like, you know what? There's so many fucking skinheads here and they're all giving me the fucking like, what do you call it? The eyes, like the stink, stink eyes. Yeah, yeah, stink okay. eyes. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go. I immediately went out in the crowd and I walked around the whole place. 
like making sure to go by everybody there to be like if anybody wanted to talk about anything or say hi or anybody wanted to fight me or whatever that, yes. that was their best chance to make like, your presence right when i got yeah. off stage and like i'm obviously the guys that's on stage i didn't change right i'm out here walking around like and like nobody said shit and that's the thing there's always these threats so people don't the thing i'm more worried about is somebody that doesn't threaten you and then randomly like yeah i got stabbed at a show i really <laughs> yeah, don't want to get stabbed ever. Right. please shoot me before you <laughs> exactly. stab me because that doesn't scare me as much as getting stabbed well those are the people that are actually gonna do something are the, the ones, ones without puffy yeah. chest the, right that's yeah. maybe why i don't worry as much but now I yeah you know it's on the internet so everybody's like all right now we know the plan is just yeah. stab him. I, <laughs> I, something you said made me think about this thing. Oh, I also hate blowjobs and cocaine, so please don't ever do any of those things to me. Never. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know if this, I'm being insensitive with this thought, but I was curious to get your take. You know how you were saying, like, after 9-11, you guys had to change your art? I mean, if, like, you know, like Bleed American famously, yeah, right. like, they yeah. had to take off, call it self-titled. That to me is like always kind of weird because it's like I get that you don't want to put this in some people's face, but it's also like this shit happens all the time. Right. Like it's like guns on shirts aren't okay, but then like two weeks later it's okay. Like it's not like this stuff doesn't exist if it's on like a coincidentally on an album cover. I mean, I, yeah. I wrote a song, um, "Rock the Forty Ounce," and the first line is "Shoot the kids at school." Yeah, and um, and I put it out on a seven inch, and and I was talking. I remember um. The head of Hellcat at the time, um, this guy Crystal Sal, he was like, he had he he basically like, I had to get he he basically became a scapegoat of why we couldn't put out shoot the kids at school a record. He's like, I was like, that happened. And I remember that you wrote those words and whatever. And I was like, and he was like, it's all prophetic. And I was like, it's not. I can talk about fallen empires and fallen towers. It's not prophetic. It's th- it's stuff that happens all the time. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. there were school shootings before Columbine. Right. It wasn't you know I didn't just like make up school shootings and then school shooting a school shooting happened that was popular. It's like no, that was the bigger the biggest one happened after I wrote that. It's not like they heard the song or nothing. Right. But, uh, but yeah, and, and it's for a, a punk label, quote unquote, to um, Hellcat Epitaph to like censor art is just ridiculous. I think to yeah. this day, and I still to this day like. I know people that are on on Epitaph and Anti and other labels that are affiliated, and any of them, if anybody ever brings that stuff up, like leftover crack to them, it's always like this sort of subject. They're like, "We made a bad move. We shouldn't have censored them." Like, I think they censored us thinking that we'd. Everybody just thought every band I was going to be in was going to implode, or I was going <laughs> to die of an overdose, and that that they were going to have to deal with me next year or something. You know what I mean? Like, oh really? They just, well, you think just that had, was like the way like people we were looking at it? Like we didn't have a we didn't have a van to tour in. Yeah, we didn't have any money or running water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like um, uh, we didn't have anything. We didn't know anybody. Honestly, um, the only reason why. We, I feel like we got heard and got out of New York is because of the Bouncing Souls. Because I was friends with Brian, yeah, and we played with those guys at at, at ABC in Rio at back in the day, and it was like, and um, he liked us, and he was friends with Rancid, and he gave Tim our seven inch, and then Tim really liked us, and then there was this long process of getting them to trust us enough to to do a record. They didn't want to put any money into it because they didn't know us because we didn't know anybody, right? We knew the Bouncing Souls. That was it. 
And as you said, you guys had like a reputation or for what? Like we still have a bad reputation. <laughs> <laughs> and I just turned 40 and still bad, but uh, it's getting and and uh, and it was, you know, it it improves all the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, the more people I meet and I and I meet a lot of people. It's always the same thing or it's actually I feel like I've gotten past the point to some extent of like I just thought you're going to be such a fucking asshole. Um, and also like strung out and like, you know, I, I feel like we got past that stuff where right. now it's like people accept that I'm not like a fucking, uh, extremist or like a fucking just, uh, I'm not a huge mess that's going to like, you can invite me to your podcast in a studio. Totally. And like, it's not, things aren't yeah. going to be missing. You know? And you've also been, <laughs> I, you know, I found that interesting and like. I am a fucking nerd, and like when we're going into these we things, we were just talking about how much of a nerd you were when yeah. you weren't here. <laughs> well, actually, we haven't met yet. We haven't met. We texted a lot last right. night, though. Jonah, yeah. right? Yes. Cool. So you yeah, can cut this part out. <laughs> nah, Sturgeon, nah, nah, Sturgeon. Hey, what's up, fellas? Yeah, we should start the podcast now. Is All what right. we should do. Yeah, we're here Press with play. Sturgeon and Benny. <laughs> you guys should just come with me to um, Sirius and um, and continue the podcast. <laughs> Do the podcast of the podcast that I'm going to do with them because it's going to suck. <laughs> I bet. This, this I was looking at pictures of the guy. And, oh, I, I should not be so mean. No, this is definitely going to be But then I was podcast. listening to, I was listening, I remember we were texting and I was like, I have to do some research on what I'm getting myself into. And it was like, it was like um, Tim, Tim Timebomb and Friends. <laughs> and it was like, it was him with the, uh, this guy that disappeared, the head of Hellcat, Chris LaSalle. It's him and Chris LaSalle talking and i'm like he can't go anywhere without chriselle he needs someone to drive him around <laughs> which is fine i i understand i'm 40 i'm from new york i don't have a driver's license i'm okay. planning on getting one in like a month i'm like all right i've turned a page of my life i need to get a car now do you want to come to new jersey and practice or i do but i'm, I'm gonna actually <laughs> practice and get a license in richmond california which is like okay. North Bay Area. And yeah. It's pretty chill. It's even more chill than New Jersey. You know why be. I know that movie? Because of the Samuel Jackson movie. Or I'm sorry, you know, I know that city is because of the Samuel Jackson movie Coach Carter. Oh, is it, where, are they in Richmond? That's Richmond, oh, California. I, I love yeah. watching a movie wow. or reading a book about a place that I'm in or going or going through or whatever. Like, Get into Coach Carter then. I'm going to check it's out got, some fucking Coach it's Carter. Got Channing for sure. Tatum as token thug white kid on an all-black basketball team fun yeah you know what i mean coach okay. carter is a very to does the book because he's such a good dancer i would watch it if he was gonna dance he doesn't dance in this one i don't think is that like a part where the whole team does a dance you know what because <laughs> all those movies come have to that. think of it <laughs> even though he's supposed to play a high school kid i do think there is a a post shower towel little bit of dancing. There's got to be every yeah. movie wow. like the every sports movie. Now I'm starting to wonder if you are a little clairvoyant. Autistic? No, you're getting <laughs> into some next level. That's stuff. not clairvoyant. See, once again, it's the thing that is. I'm just talking about. I haven't seen that movie, but I've seen a lot of sports movies. Right. And almost everyone that's come out in the past twenty years has a little part where they do a little dance or they sing a song together and they like that's they're true. in jail dancing or they're somewhere, they're in the locker room and it's like been it's like you can't get a movie made it a greenlit in Hollywood okay. about sports if you don't have a little like singing part. So you're not clairvoyant, you're educated uh, perceptive Ob observant and, yes. and yeah. uh yeah and, and a nerd and a, and a good dresser. i'm a nerdy well you're amongst friends i'm one of those like people you know like i'm a music nerd and like i'm art nerd 
book and movie nerd, you know, yeah. like I try to like, I, I, I don't try to recall and keep all this just knowledge inside into. me. It just is there. Yeah. It's dormant until like something triggers it. I'm like, all right, which is great for songwriting and stuff. Do you find that I find that Google and the ability for everyone to Google 24 hours a day mm-hmm. has made me a less interesting person because I used to be like the guy in a room who would remember some like random character actor's name in like an 80s movie. And everyone would be like, right. who's that guy? I'd be like, oh, it's fucking Robert Loja. And right. he'd be like, oh, yeah, good Robert call, Loja. dude. And now before I even get a chance, uh-huh. people are like, blah, 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 oh, Robert Loja. Right. I'm like, fuck, like, I'm not <laughs> impressive. You're, not you're the Robert Loja guy. Here's the thing, though. There's <laughs> Love a couple- Loja. Yafit Koto, obviously, <laughs> is the answer. No, um, uh, I think that it's, it's going to work out because... I find with the smartphone or whatever is that when I think of something and I'm like, I want to know the answers to these questions, I don't have to go to a library. Right. I don't have to, um, you know, deal with the Dewey Decimal System. No more microfiche. Go, right. No more yeah. microfiche. <laughs> Love the microfiche. I have to go, um, I, I can just go tap it and I get the answers immediately. And the thing is that most people will be able to do that and then they can spit the thing back at you. But they will not retain the knowledge that they just read and spit out. It just goes in their eyes and goes out their mouth. Mm. And then it's, it doesn't hinge itself. Whereas when I check something out and, and read about it on the internet, even if it's for a split second to find out an answer, it'll stick in there. Yeah. Uh, you know? And yeah. then, and then I can spit it back and we're in here, we're not on our phones doing stuff or, you know, at when the the EMTs or EM, EMPs, the electromagnetic pulses, yeah, is that what it is? That's gonna that'll fry all the electronics. Oh, okay, right. You know, I if heard there's about a nuclear this. a nuclear detonation, will yeah, let, it'll shoot off a, a, a an electromagnetic pulse that will um it fries all. To stick with the nerd thing, it's what Don Cheadle uses in Ocean's Eleven, the first one. Okay, what does he change from the other two? He's not smart or something. Uh, is no, he British? Th- yeah, he does a bad British accent. That's right, I know it. that. Yeah, but, yeah. but is he like he was smart in the first one, but not the other two? I think he was just his smarts are maybe more needed. In the- is he not in the other ones? Cheetle? Well, he's in the other two. Oh, he but is. he's just not. Um, it, uh, you say that like he wasn't the same character, and like he just they took away his his IQ, his like, no, smart identity. I think he plays like smart bomb yeah. electronics guy and all yeah, of them. Okay. He stays consistent. So Ocean's Eleven through Thirteen. Yeah, John, but Don only Cheadle. in the Not first one, specifically to pull off the heist, uh-huh. they steal what you're talking about, like a, a electromagnetic yeah, thing. And in order to, I think I have that right. I in might order be like to having that last word wrong, to break into the security yeah. system, they use this to shut down the electronics so they right. can get into the building. And it's like a short range one or something. But yeah. but I think that yeah. a, a nuclear detonation lets off one that, um, as far as I'm aware, it reaches it might reach like around the world or like halfway around the world or something so because the detonation so big and the pulse that it lets off is so huge that that uh you know as far as i remember um in a i think it's like a warner herzog movie or something i don't want to get too nerdy now but there's a movie called until the end of the world or something and it takes place in australia or it takes place all around the world but uh, there's part that these guys are flying a plane in australia and there's a nuclear detonation like somewhere all the way like far from Australia. And then all of a sudden the plane's electronics don't work. 
But they landed anyways because it's an airplane. You can still land a plane without cruise it. The fucking dials and shit, right? And, you know, like um. But uh, for the people just listening, obviously, yeah, we are all doing funny hand plane things right, right yeah. now. Just so you know, <laughs> we're all flying planes with our fingers yeah. right now. I want my favorite. Well, it's like we could be like like googling all this right now. Well, here's here's my question about that. So if there's gonna be some kind of like nuclear holocaust where we're essentially losing all power throughout the globe, mm-hmm. isn't our um ability to retain like pop culture facts that'll make kind of you... moot a little? <laughs> Maybe no, we're not talking about bored. that anymore. People are gonna be living yeah. underground and bored. Oh, yeah. That's true. And the guy that can run trivia night is yeah. gonna be like oh. Oh, get the yeah. most blowjobs and cocaine. So how sick in the underground <laughs> the bunker. Maybe. Yeah. That's true. The, yeah. In the underground bunker, the guy who can just recite Caddyshack is going to yeah. be like right. a full-on full entertainer. Yeah, I mean, did, did you see Tropic Thunder? I mean, yeah. they love fucking, uh, oh. you know, <laughs> with, uh, the fake Tom Cruise uh, that Ben Stiller plays and oh, he does it? his... Simple Jack. Simple Jack. Yeah. And that, that <laughs> the fact is that's the only... And there are places like that to this day in the world that you go you'll yeah. go there and they just don't have DVD players yet or right. they don't have the internet and they have VHS and they're like so their pop culture knowledge stops in the mid 90s or whatever you know and like and all they have is like rush hour 3 yeah right. exactly and that's like their favorite I, yeah. I, I visited Israel when I was little I was like a 11 or something and I, I'm pretty sure it was that free you get a free flight to Israel if you're under 25, oh, or like the, the birthright, birthright if you're a Jew. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that we got that. I think actually my mom, I think, got scammed by my friend's family because <laughs> she's like, no, I paid for your plane ticket. I was like, <laughs> no, because they took us to all the places that we went on the tours of things that you would have to do. I'm like, they, you, you get a free ticket, but you have to go to like, um, you have to go to the Holy Land. You know, you go uh, to the Wailing Wall. Like you have Masada to go to like, uh, what's that? Did you go to Masada? We went to Masada. My which sister was got back rad, actually. There. I love yeah. Masada. Yeah. She did? To this yeah. day. Uh, that's like one of the best memories of being in Israel. It's like Masada. That's like the most, the best thing to be proud of if you're Jew, if you're totally. a Jew is like they like held on to this like, this hilltop for fucking mm. years against the Roman Empire. Oh, really is bad. that the one that, I had heard something about, I, I know this is taken as maybe a little off course, but I remember I'm a bad Jew. You guys mm-hmm. actually clearly are better ones than uh, I am. I right? don't even know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Benjamin Horowitz. It's not obvious. <laughs> um, but I heard about a hilltop there that there was like an old, um, I guess, Muslim burial ground in this hilltop. And like the Jews made sure that they had a higher portion of the hilltop because when the the reckoning comes, the Messiah comes and back, they yeah. come back. Yeah, that's that the they olive, be... the olive hill of olives, or something. No, that's the thing. I was there too. Some crazy shit. You know, there's like a gate, and uh, yeah, it's um like there's there's this one like bricked off part of Jerusalem that's like it's like that's the gate. That's the gate where the Messiah is going to come through when he returns. And yeah, there's like yeah. the Mount of Olives. I think is the Jews' higher ground that's right, higher up sure than the, the Muslims, like. And the Muslims also have the Temple of the Rock, which is like right, right by it, and that's almost as high up, you know. And I've been there too, which is cool. I got to go there and and take my shoes off and visit the Temple of the Rock. That's cool. I went to all those sites. We went up the thing, the stairs where Jesus supposedly went up, and like with his cross. 
You know, After, him and his cross. I've heard about I've heard, that. I've heard oh, a little I've bit. Heard about that. Speaking of popular story, it's just such a Jewy thing to complain about. <laughs> uh, his cross, it's so heavy. <laughs> Got to bring it up. How many flights of stairs is this? It's Oy. a walk up. I live in a five-story walk up in, well, in C squat. My bunions. Speak, yeah. Speaking of uh, C squat, I mean, could you? Just in case people listening to the podcast don't know what it is, could you maybe give like a little context on it? Um, C-Squat is a... Well, it's not a squat anymore, first of all. Um, it's a co-op, and we own it. But um, it was a squat. Uh, I think that um, Under the Volcano magazine called it the most dangerous venue, most dangerous punk venue in the history of New York don't ever go there at any cost or something like that. That's a quote from them. Um, but it was, uh, we used to have shows in the basement. Um, we did till recently. Um, but, uh, it's just been around since about 89 and I've been living there since the early nineties. And, uh, who were the first, the first people who started squatting there? Um, I feel like there's like three or two or three people. And if I name names, people will just get, upset sure people get angry about it okay I'll, I'll say my friend bald mike who's probably never going to hear this but <laughs> he gets the most upset so i'll give him a shout out because he was one of the people to open it um and uh anyways i, I was there kind of early on uh there's a squad across the street called fetus that burned down and i was in a band with with uh this guy named popeye who still lives in c squat he lived in fetus it's called banji and um He's actually the he's the second dance hall guy on Crack Rock Steady. Oh, okay. He's the guy that sounds like a a real like dance hall reggae dude. Okay, but that's that's Popeye from Banji. He um and he he moved to C Squat soon after, and I was already in a band with him. And he let me when I ran away from home. And I went to the West Coast for a little while, and then I came back without telling my mom that I was in, back in the city, and I just went to C Squat and lived in in front of his place, and uh and that was uh you know basically like. I came back and I started trying to keep, I tried to continue my high school education. I was going to city at school, but at one point I, they wanted me to get up at like 8 a.m. to call them from a payphone to pick my courses or something. And I just couldn't do it. it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't <laughs> get up that early. And so then I never graduated. But uh, C Squat is the place that it's no, notoriously, it's one, notoriously the most partying, hardest partying squat that's been around. Like there were squats back when C squat was started through into the nineties that were um if it was a harder partying squat than C squat, then it was probably just a crack house. Okay. Right. That didn't have a door or anything and okay. just anybody could stay there and leave. And um we were like the hardest partying squat that had a door and like any rules. Like like, you know, you had to know somebody to or you had to like yeah, someone had to sponsor you, basically, like to vouch for you if you're gonna move in there. Was were people like actively trying to shut it down yet at that point? Is that why you needed to be kind of DL about it? Yeah, I mean, uh, all the squats got shut down by the cops. Yeah, unless you had, um, you know, a door and a barricade, and like okay. you had people looking out for the cops, and like uh, you had to keep it a little low key. But we also had shows there where. It was fucking like I, before I even was there. I, I believe like when the shows like right before I, I started hanging out there, or it might have happened when I was already hanging out there. I didn't know about it because shows would happen quick. Was like uh, Neurosis and Operation Ivy minus Jesse Michaels played there, and, and it was really MDC and Neurosis played. But right. I think that 
the rest of Operation Ivy that besides Jesse were like roadies for MDC and Neurosis. Oh, cool. So they played with somebody else singing and uh that and happened. was probably like eighty nine, ninety, like around that. That's probably yeah, eighty nine, cool. ninety and it was um and uh I remember I think that's the only place they ever got all those bands got like like scabies or lice or some body lice or something <laughs> because they stayed at C-Spot. They stayed there. Um, and uh, it, it's no, notoriously... It's funny because I, I know actually all these people to some to some extent or another. Like, like I haven't talked to Tim Armstrong in 15 years or something, yeah. but I know him. You know what I mean? And I, I know Jesse and I know like um, MDC and, and, and Dave from Neurosis I was hanging out with days. last week and like... It's funny, uh, uh, like, the people that survive, like, because I also know a lot of people that are dead, like, a lot of my best friends are dead, but the people that do punk rock, since they're younger and stick with it till 40 or whatever, and and aren't complete dicks and just aren't complete messes still, or, like, cleaned up their act to some extent, people are all pretty happy to see you if you didn't OD. Sure. Like they're like Sturgeon from Choking Victim is still alive. Like, <laughs> all right, like I'll give him a chance. <laughs> He's persistent. He's he been around for twenty five right years. years. I talked shit about him for twenty of those years. <laughs> uh, fucking fine. You, he, oh, you. Everybody else in the room met him and doesn't hate him. Okay, I'll meet him. You get old enough though to a point, right, where you maybe just stop caring as much about the smaller things. Like yeah, that I stopped, anyway. It's, it totally coincided with when I stopped giving a shit if people liked me or not. Is when people started to not judge me as much or right. like not to believe all the rumors they hear about me. Sure. And, and it's fine. It's how, good. How do you deal with one of my problems, which I feel like you're probably good at with your beliefs and being outspoken is like just dealing with confrontation. Like I hate arguing with people. I hate that feeling when you're like walk in a room, and you know, someone like doesn't like you. I go to every situation I, I go into when I walk into a punk show except for my shows and still I'm a little wary I'm still a bit like I'm in my show that people paid to get in to see but there's probably a few people in this room that like don't like me right and they went because their girlfriend or boyfriend came or and they they just they're you know they came here because their friends went but they they already have a preconceived notion of me and they want they probably want to start some shit but every other situation I go into I assume that everybody that I just Assume that nobody likes me, which is a, it's a pretty easy way to go into a situation. There's pretty, you know, I can assume that I go here, and once I get into this room with you guys, that I'm going to be okay. Right. You guys probably don't hate me. You know, I did have to ask, you know, I asked, I mentioned you you the other day to Jesse Cannon, who was like, what's the podcast? And he's like, which guy's interviewing you? And I was like, Joe, and he's like, that guy's cool. You nice. have, you have a good time, and then I checked it out, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I can good talk rap, to these Jonah. people." Yeah. Look at that. Solid. Whereas rap. going to like serious, I'm like uh, looking at the people involved and like what they do. It's like you know th- th- they're gonna interview me for an hour, and they're gonna um, cut it all up according to to Vanessa at Fat, right? And and put it on whatever punk shows they have. You know, oh, and gotcha. They oh, probably want me to like, do like station IDs, like which content. I'm gonna maybe see if I can avoid. I feel like that's that's like I'll, I'll say I'll do it at the end, and then I'll be like, "Oh wait, I gotta go." Yeah, yeah. Let's see, let's see how much I avoid it, because you know when you meet somebody and then they're actually nice, and then you're totally. like, yeah. "I've been being such a dick to you in my brain 
for like a couple of days now based and on nothing based on like photos of <laughs> yeah. you and like um that the people that host the shows that are punk shows on this and like the bands that you play <laughs> on these things because i looked and it's like not they're they, they have a thing called punk party and it's like uh they have only a couple they have faction and punk party and it's like okay um, I'm sure they play Gaslight Anthem all the time, but not to say anything <laughs> bad about you guys. Honestly, I've never heard Fun. your band, so I can't. And I decided not to listen to you yesterday when I heard that you're going to be here because I was like, "Why not keep it going for a little while longer? Because why should I check it out? Yeah, I now if I haven't heard it yet, or I might have heard it and not known what it was. You know? I like it, man. I mean, you guys played with like Bruce Springsteen or something, right? So it happened. So that's like <laughs> that's cool. I'm sure I probably like it. I just and I know you guys are friends with your friends with like Ben Souls and people and Star Fucking Hipsters and stuff. We have some mutual, some yeah, mutual friends. It's cool. I, I don't called need, Stam, I don't need to let mu- music ruin it. No, <laughs> right? No, no, no. I think it's a really funny thing about music, and it actually confuses me in this uh-huh. world. Is like those preconceived notions about a lot of people, and then I've gotten into situations where like. Yeah, I met, like, the drummer from Limp Biscuit at a festival. Uh-huh. All I wanted to do in my head was just fucking make fun of this dude uh-huh. so many times. I had about, he's like, the nicest guy in the world. 20 zingers in my yeah, head yeah. to, like, rip him about, like, where he's from and blah, 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 blah. I couldn't. He's nice. Couldn't. Probably the, he's probably the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> too sweet. He's probably just the too sweetest sweet. guy, and he probably kind of hates that he's in Limp Biscuit a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. I wish he could be in a band that had some respect. Yeah. yeah maybe. Yeah. yeah he uh, probably does. That's and the thing. Then, but then the thing that confuses me and the thing you're going to go to Sirius and do that, mm-hmm. and it's something I struggle with mm-hmm. in this all the time, is at the same time, people want you to do shit for them. Mm-hmm. And, they want me to show And for you're them. there for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. you're not there out of the goodness of their fucking heart. So people like that who have something to benefit from you, mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing niceness after all these years like how much is someone being a genuinely cool person and how much mm. is someone manipulating a relationship to get what they want right i feel like i can tell to some extent but some but i can't i haven't done a lot of press ever in my life this is the biggest press day for i have two things (laughs) you know that's it this week has been like a first a week of firsts for me i think this is my first podcast yeah that's awesome i think I might be wrong. I might be on someone's podcast, like, I might have done, like, 10 minutes of yeah, something yeah. on somebody's thing, but but I think this is my first, like, That's talking awesome. for a while, like, actually, like, I wouldn't say in-depth, but, you know, as in-depth as you get without actually, like, saying that we started a <laughs> podcast and it was going and that it's almost over, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, yeah, how but, you feel about that? I think it's and cool. And don't even talk Charlie at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. Usually, I talk way too much. Well, I feel like you should you should get a little bit of input here. Well, I feel like Benny has a bunch of questions he wants oh, to get through. Yeah, no. This whole list of, no, no, no. of pictures of no. his dog. Yeah, Wally tagged it. By yeah. the way, <laughs> I do. There is one thing I want to talk your about. Dog sure. on it because I saw it. What's that? You like to carry things that your dog pees on? Just so I remember him. Yeah. So we carry each other. And he knows around. that you're still his property when you get back. That's cool. it. Cool. That's it. So what's your thing? The thing was this. Like I saw one interview with you talking about like that you found a little bit of the change in like police and their attitudes and you found like a little bit of point of pride in the fact that you guys had been so outspoken about police brutality about what these guys are doing to people and how now there seems to be even like and the reason i brought it up like the thing with eric garner still fucks me up 
still like every time I think about it, I'm not only mad at the situation. It's the first time I had been through a situation as an adult where I saw it and I went, all right, it's on fucking camera. There's no way people get away with this shit right this mm-hmm. time. There's no chance because it's so fucking obvious this time. Right. And then everybody gets off. And I'm like, it's, it's like, I think I was too young during Rodney King to fully grasp the situation too young during Amadou Diallo Mm -hmm. to fully grasp the situation of like what was happening. I had a cop as a little league baseball coach. That was my reference. Not these guys like fucking with people on the streets in New York. Yeah. So from my perspective, I didn't really understand it until more recently. Right. Right. And, but I read an interview where you guys had been fighting it so long and even though like something like Eric Garner still happens, you do think that there's been like positive progress and more awareness? Well, I think the fact that uh, that we're even having this conversation right now, that I've never had anybody bring up police brutality to me in an interview that wasn't uh, about trying to defend the police. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah, um, yeah. So the fact is that, that social media has forced... The, the regular media, the actual like mainstream corporate media to cover police brutality um, in a sympathetic manner towards the victims and their families. And, um, and that is a huge milestone. I never thought that would happen in my lifetime. Really? Honestly, I thought that I was singing songs about police brutality that in my brain, this is my egotistical brain, is like, oh, yeah, this this is the soundtrack to a future revolution. Someday the police will have to fight the cops and they'll have to sing songs about killing cops and maybe they'll they'll find one of our songs and be like, yeah. And uh, it's like, maybe it doesn't have to come to that. Maybe we can, uh, through exposing their crimes and their brutality and, and the fact that that they have been doing this ever since before they were called the police... Right. Before that, when, you know, whatever their name was before they were police, and and anybody in authority, in in a a position of authority that has a gun or power or a weapon that has a gang to back them up and that's financed by a government um, or a rich, you know, it could be a paramilitary, like a, you know, like an overseer on a plantation, you know. Which is like an obvious thing to bring up because of like Karis One said it best in Sound of the Police. Mm-hmm. Get the word officer from overseer. Uh, officer. He says, say it fast, you know? Right, overseer, right. overseer, officer, officer. officer. Mm-hmm. You get officer from overseer, see a similarity, yeah, you know, yeah, check right. the clarity, whatever. I fucked it up already. <laughs> but anyway, it's such a good song. Um, but uh, That was cool. I wasn't expecting a KRS drop. That was well, good. you know, I just. Ever since I was a teenager, or even before that, I just I saw how the police treated people. Sure, and I knew that they had been doing this forever. And once Rodney King, you know, was on TV and with his his beating, I was like, "Yeah, this is what the police do." Like nobody knew that. Like how right. how does nobody know that? Right, right, right. I'm not clairvoyant. I'm just, just pay attention. But you since know? you actually grew up in New York, and- maybe. But also, it's like I could have grown up somewhere else. I think that the police. They abuse their power anywhere, and that's illegal. Any abuse of their power, anything that they do, 
if they pull you over for a fucking traffic ticket and and they um and they don't and you you're like I have to get to work and they decide to take their time because they don't feel like letting you get to work on time that's illegal that's an abuse of their power it doesn't have to be that they shoot you or kill you or right, right everything right. I feel like 90% of the time what the police do is illegal it's an abuse of their power if they if they pull you over to fill a quota if they pull you over because they don't like the look of your car if it looks dirty they don't like the color of your skin they don't like your attitude anything that they do that isn't directly because of evidence that you yeah. committed a crime is illegal right. for them to do and and that's an abuse of their power and um I think people are they try to forgive the police for that, and I will never forgive them for that because forgiving them for that forgives them for 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 killing people, mm-hmm. for murdering innocent people, for murdering people that aren't innocent of crimes. You don't kill somebody because they they stole something. You don't murder somebody. You should. I don't believe in capital punishment. I don't think you should murder for somebody because they murdered somebody. I mean, people need to be held be held accountable for their. They're crimes, but more than anything, the police need to be held accountable. Sure. Because if you don't hold the people accountable for the crimes that are holding everybody else accountable, then the example of holding people accountable for their crimes is completely shot. Yeah. And and it should be fucking anarchy in, an, in a bad way. It should right. be fucking anarchy where it's like Escape from New York, fucking like... Um, just those ridiculous 80s films that were, you know, where it's like just gangs run everything and it's just like, like fucking like war torn Africa where it's warlords in control. That's how it should be here because of the police setting an example mm-hmm. of, of committing crimes and, and not being upstanding citizens and not being, um, smart yeah Yeah. (laughs) like the fact that iq comes into play when you when you want to become a beat cop like if you have too high iq you might not get that job or i mean they might find something better for you to do if they can prove that you have ill intentions towards other humans and like oh can harness your intelligence to run police operations but but if you're too smart they don't want you to be a beat cop because they don't want people to question authority especially their officers right Mm. I'm, well, I'm like venting and I'm no, going no, to no, no, no. but it's, it's this important is... things that people need to know. And, and I, I guess it might get boring after a while because I, I might be being a little redundant in what no, I'm saying right now, so. but it's just, it's just, I'm so passionate about it. And I've, it's something I've been passionate about ever since I was little. And, um, and, and it's, you well, know. it's, it's something so important to talk about. And that's why actually your perspective on it is really interesting. And I, I get, I yeah. watch, if I watch Eric Garner being killed by the police, or if I watch anybody, any of those, those, uh, you know, those videos that have come out in the last couple of years and have been, you know, gotten, gone viral and been on the news and whatever. If I watch any of those, I get really upset and I yeah. get really sad and like, but I get really angry too. And, um, but I always have to remember, I'm like, this is a positive thing. Like, it's right. hard to to tell people, like, it's a positive thing that this is, that we can watch this. Right. Because it's changing um, public opinion to the extent that USA Today, when, when I was on tour, you know, 
we stay at hotels a lot, and you know, a lot of them give you a free USA Today. And I was like, whatever, I grab it. Just fucking, we're driving for eight hours, and sure. like look at it. But I feel like last year, every single copy of USA Today I looked at in the first section, in the like section one or section A or whatever it is, like there's a front page in the first eight pages of that paper. Everyone that I ever looked at, and there's probably like twenty of them last year, had mentioned police brutality. They mentioned police corruption. They mentioned it. Uh, uh, there was either an article about it, an editorial about it, or there was um, even in the little state by state thing. If you look at those, which it's tedious because a lot of them are boring. But if you actually go through it, oh, and the like, little yeah, the little, like, like water for each yeah, fifty, yeah, yeah. you know, uh-huh. there's one for each state. Yep, if yep, you go yep. through there, like there's there's like at least five of them are really good, and uh, and a couple of them are like they address police corruption or like police brutality or anything that they address and it might even be something shitty like this police the police got exonerated for murdering somebody on film mm-hmm. you know a kid or anything and but it's in there it's not not you know it's not swept under the carpet even if it's hidden in the thing but it's usually not hidden in the thing it's more of a news piece yeah know? yeah these days and um yeah. and you know that they're paying journalists to cover that now is a big deal. Yeah. And it's like, and I, I, I can't see, I'm sure that something will happen. Somebody will figure out something that they can do to divert attention from it at some point. But until then, it's a, it's great. The more attention that we can get that the police are, are you know, until we can get them to change policies and change their training. Right. I think police are trained to shoot to kill. You know, yeah. like, why, why don't they shoot to wound somebody? Why are they shooting someone 41 times sure. or more, 50 times? Because you don't want to leave a victim of a police shooting alive. Yeah. Because it's one thing their family can try and sue you. Or they, you but don't if want the person's the testifying against yeah. you, what happened, you have a lot more to lose to, from the eyewitness that got shot than speculation around it. Sure. If there's no, you know, you're going to assume there's no footage. You're going to assume nobody's watching you're just going to shoot to kill. And, like, that's why when there's a bunch of cops and a shot gets shot, you know, everybody just goes crazy, I think. At the root of it, do you think that, like, and something I've always wondered, is there, like, a type of person who's drawn to becoming a cop? Yeah. Or is it normal people become cops and they're the victims of police pressure and policy? I think probably, like, a good 25% of police go join the force with good intentions. Right. To like change the police or be the good cops. Be good communities. Right. To know, like help. And, but yeah. I think that 75% are cowards that join because they want to bully people and they want a license. They know that they're, they're that that if they become police, they can do whatever they want. You know, up until now. Right. You could get away with murder. Right, right. And right. you still can. But uh but it's, you know, up until now, now people are joining the police force and they're like, Well, they're probably a lot of more people are considering like, I might not I'm not that smart. I might not get away with murder if I join the cops. <laughs> but you know, maybe they roll the dice. Um but those twenty five percent that go in there to be good cops, um, I think they get crushed down by you know, by the um 
by the corruption and the bureaucracy and the, the bureaucracy the corruption it all crushes them down eventually like in a few years they just fall in the line i mean you, you've seen Cer- serpico or like you know serpico's story is is one that's like a rare one it's they're crooked cop. cops crooked you know yeah he's that's like, my pacino yeah it's good a Thanks. cop that uh, <laughs> <laughs> i mean a cop that, that it's rare that a cop will continue to keep trying to change the police even after the police try to have them murdered and it's like they're still at it and you're still you know most people either get killed in that situation or they um they're like i'm gonna shut the fuck up and i'm not gonna testify and i'm just gonna retire or do whatever right right and i'm See gonna, no evil here no evil yeah, just get out of it i'm just gonna either like quit or i'm just gonna fall in the line i have a family to feed or whatever you yeah, know because like, if one single cop with good intentions decide to try and take on the whole system He's probably not going to get very far in no, most, in most but, regards. But if the whole system's on trial by the public, mm-hmm. then there's a better chance that more cops will come forward and more people will join. The The percentage of people that join the police, will ha- more of them will have good intentions. And, and um, really, I think they need to change their training. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a police abolitionist movement, which really? I learned about recently. Like, um, at the, I go to these uh, Drug Policy Alliance uh, conferences. Like, they're trying to... You know, it's it's working. They're decriminalizing drugs sure. in the United States. It's happened in two states already. It's happening. It's on the way to, to happening in more. I just if, donated money to NJ United for marijuana reform. There you go. And like it's this. just it's that's the first step. And the and the thing is, the war on drugs really creates. Um, it it really has a lot to do. It really it funds police brutality. It gives some um, incentive for the police to arrest people and. To you know, um, seize their sure. their assets to fund their police, the police, you know, uh, yeah. to fund their their uh, their precinct or their their you know, in the case of Ferguson, to fund the county, mm. you know, that they were people were getting harassed and ticketed and arrested because they had quotas to fill, and and that county was was um, going bankrupt, and mm. they're like, arrest more people, get more money from seizures, get more money from, you know, stop and frisk people, like, harass people, and that's why that, you know, th- everything happened in Ferguson. And, and that's just and failed policy. It was, it all went down, it went to the government forcing the police force to to be even more corrupt than they already were, and, like, to, to up their intake of money that was that was someone's idea the mayor of ferguson's idea or somebody up there's idea of how they were going to fix the economy in that part of of st louis and fucking ended up in like innocent murder the murder of an innocent person innocent teenager by police officer and um and but the whole the whole like uh the climate was ripe for ra- racist police. Sure, sure, and sure. And they were being encouraged to be racist because they're like, we'll fucking find a way to get money right. out of people. Then that whole community was mostly black. And it's like, you need to just get, you know, fund our shit, you know? And it's and like, this is what we were talking about before, right? Like people sometimes are so short sighted that they only see the actual thing sitting in front of you, right? Just like nine yeah, 11, just like the Holocaust, but nobody, Wants to to dig yeah. into the broader. It's the same people reason. that are looking for the quick buck, the people that want the fucking the money that's there without thinking about how are they going to make money next week, or like that. I, I've encountered this in my bands. It's mm. like I've been in bands with people. One of the reasons like our my bands like choking victim broke up is because I was in a band with somebody that wanted the quick buck, mm. and I was like, well, 
I'm not going to fucking flush down, like, you think that this band isn't going anywhere or these songs that I wrote are worthless? You think that, that we should sell them to somebody for uh, an advance on publishing royalties so that we can you can get some money right now, whereas I'm in it for fucking life. Like, I think that if we don't do that, there's a reason why they're not... They're they they're giving us money for this because it's it's worth something and it, mm-hmm. and I know it's going to be worth something. Maybe you don't think that my song is worth something, but it's worth something to me and it's worth more than fucking a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. It's like it's something that I want to own. Yeah, even if it doesn't, it never is worth anything to anybody. And so, guess who owns Choking Victim No Guys No Manager songs? Universal Music, mm-hmm. because fucking even Hellcat and Epitaph. They wanted a quick buck somewhere, so they did a whole fucking... They lumped our songs in with a bunch of bands, and they're like, here, we'll give you a block of music if you, you know, give us this money and you put out Rancid or put out uh, this Distillers record and Rancid and we'll cooperatively put this record out. And it's like, like upstream we, deals with those labels? Yeah, we got, like, mm-hmm. we got shuffled out of even being published by... Hell Beach or whatever it was called, right. you know, it was like Hellcat's thing was like West Beach and Hellcat. So now, like they own, they own half of the publishing of those songs, which is something I never wanted to sell in the first place. And the yeah. fact that our, you know, I was bullied into it sucked, and it's one of the reasons that the band broke up. And uh, and then when the the drummer realized that I was getting the bulk of it. He was also upset. Right, right. Because <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, fucker, I wrote those songs, man. You you played drums on them, but guess what? I wrote drums on a lot of those songs. So you don't get that percentage of that. You know, you don't get whatever you're trying to get a third of because you say that you wrote the drums. You didn't. There's another drummer before you. He wrote all the drums. <laughs> and I wrote the drums before that. And I, and I, you know, it's like, so anyways, that's my like hate speech there's me being like like I took some a nice you know I got, I got mean about cops and I turned it into something I shouldn't be talking about in a public forum. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the way. Right. That's what this podcast is all about. I do that shit just for the record. Yeah. I do that shit fucking constantly where I blab about stuff I'm not supposed to. But it you know what? That was all the time. it's mine. That was mine to talk about, and yeah. you know, um, but it it was also a perspective of what you were talking about, where like there's that mindset that lends to somebody being in it more for the long haul, you know, or taking a situation like we are talking about and actually taking the time to, to peel back the onion and see what's actually going on. I talk about this a lot because I hate the reactionary way of politics and people these days. I hate the fact that it's uncool to think Mm -hmm. and it's unpopular to actually scratch the surface and dig into the reason than to have, you know, like someone like Trump come along and offer these like horrible looking band-aids for about 12 different things right, right, right. without without digging into it. And, you know, that's one of, one of my only things for all my interviews is that I don't want to talk about the upcoming presidential elections. Fair enough. That's my only, that's my like disclaimer that I always, I've, well, we never really even got said we we're going to start. Yeah. I actually have to go because I got to go do this other thing. Yeah. Like, serious. But uh, that's cool. I just think that, um, you know, and and I'm not trying to steer it away from politics, but it is the same. Yeah. Like, I will not censor my record. I will not um, discontinue speaking about police brutality and police corruption until there is none. Right. And that, and and also, I'm not gonna sell you 
something of mine that I think is going to be worth more in 10 years or 20 years because I believe in myself. Yeah. And also, I believe in the things I'm speaking about because when you speak about true things, if you're speaking truth about the world as you know it, and you you know it, and you know that eventually people are going to have to fall in line with understanding where you're coming from because they're going to be forced to. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in your lifetime, but eventually they're going to be like, well, that person was right when they were talking about police brutality constantly. Why were they obsessed with police? Because we just found out the police this whole time. For 150 years, the police have been murdering innocent people, you know, <laughs> ever since before they were cops. Yeah. And then uh, it's just like when, when histor- historical truths are hard to keep secret for more than like 40 or 50 years. Sure. You know, like everything gets leaked, you know, all this, there's like freedom of information act, you know, in, in probably in the next 10, 20 years, we're going to learn a lot more stuff about nine 11, about what the people in our government were complacent about. If there was any, any, you know, any kind of like truth to any nine 11 truth or stuff. Um, the truth behind maybe the building was pulled mm-hmm. um, because of uh, um, Silverstein had that like those record breaking insurance policies that he just took out on all his buildings, including the Twin Towers and Building Seven, which got pulled. Which he said on a PBS documentary, we pulled, we decided to pull the Building Seven because mm-hmm. it seemed unsafe or something. But then he immediately said, "Oh." I, I was misquoted, even though I saw that documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, it fell. It right. fell because of what happened. It melted just like just like the Twin Towers, which is like impossible. Even though I'm on film saying right. something Don't completely Don't get me started different. on all that. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the fucking science behind melting steel, it's pretty impossible. But basically, and, the, but the yeah. point you're making is mm-hmm. that like the longer time goes and the, the longer... The more truth will come out. And the yeah. more people that are critics of me in particular who have just said what's on my mind and what's probably true. I will never say absolutely something's true, usually unless I have total evidence, but I have a lot of theories about 9-11, and people like to this day tell, to discount anything I have to say by saying, oh, you're a 9-11 truther, which is like a derogatory. It's like, no. Right. All I'm saying is that we're not told the full story, sure. and people are lying to the public. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about that. And now I'm going to go to a big old tall building in Midtown <laughs> where I'm not allowed to talk about most of this stuff. All right. That was so fun, right, Brad? Excuse me. Yeah. Wow. So I'm I forgot Kerflimped now. I forgot to mm. mention this earlier, but um Leftover Crack released an album last year. And it's really good. And I wish I had mentioned this earlier, but it's called Constructs of the State. It came out in 2015. And it's on Fat Records. And uh there are songs like Bed Bugs and Beyond, <laughs> System Fucked, The Lie of Luck, Vicious Constructs, The War at Home, and don't shoot. So, and Wikipedia categorizes it as ska punk slash crust punk. <laughs> Two genres that seem like they might be at odds with each other. <laughs> but Leftover Crack is a very I don't know about that unique fan. I don't know either. <laughs> um, but yeah, so check out that record. Check out Choking Victim. Check out Star Fucking Hipsters. Um, all all great stuff. Uh, and you can also check out Brad uh, recently released some records on his own label. Soundwag. Soundwag. Check out soundwag.com. Soundwag.com. There'll be more coming, hopefully, not 
if, if, if anything there is not to your liking. We've got some unreleased Goops recordings. Yes. And we've also got a release by... A banning Playdate. Playdate. And I guess when this comes out... Oh, also, uh, Leftover Cracker on Tour. Um, if you live in Canada, go to fatrecords.com. Check that out. Uh, I think they're going to UK and Germany this summer. UK and Germany, yeah. So doing some festivals and that kind of stuff. Um, my band just played some shows. I would promote them, but they just happened. <laughs> but what's weird is that they haven't happened. So they happened to you, but they haven't happened to me. Oh, man. Don't, you're, you're, just, Wait, you're freaking what? me out, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> time. Uh, time. Linear time. We're beating time. We're in a loop, but Wait. is the loop on reverse? But we're going ahead in time. I'm, Who wants to go ahead? That's true. And you want to go back in time? Yeah. It's impossible. It's impossible, guys. We should do a time travel episode. We should have like some like astrophysicist on here just talking about time travel. Who's in a band? <laughs> if you're an astrophysicist in a band, <laughs> hit me up. Djonabay or gmail.com. Or if you do stand up. Or if you do stand up. <laughs> or if you're Michael J. Fox or Christopher Lloyd. Uh, what else? Uh, if you are just loving this podcast... Um, feel free to donate goingofftrack.com um, donate a couple dollars it's expensive for us to keep all these hundreds of podcasts available and free we love doing it but yeah well you notice we don't have you know we don't have any sponsors no we don't have any sponsors so and also this is not because we have a no sponsor rule <laughs> it, we just don't have any <laughs> so if you want to sponsor us please get in touch <laughs> I mean, I know we just did it's do because a because le- we're terrible business. I know we just did do a, a leftover crack podcast. You might think we're like too punk, but uh, but we're not. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> William Morris, get at us. <laughs> or maybe not William Morris, but pretty much anyone else, and maybe William Morris. Um, what else? Uh, I think we can wrap it up. I think we can wrap it up. Um, if you don't want to give us money, that's cool too. Um, you can just uh, leave us a nice comment on iTunes. You can just think tweet about at us. us. Think about us positively. Think about us positively. Tell your friends about it. We've gotten a lot of cool word of mouth stuff happening through this, and we do it because we love it, and we love you. So we'll be back again next week with another great podcast. Yeah.